Brought to you by Leaving the Ring, all boxing, no filter. Don't forget, we're, we're live every Monday night on YouTube and Blog Talk. Oh! That's another knockdown! He's not getting he up, Jim! He get up! He's not getting up, Jim! He get up! He's not getting up! No, he's been knocked out! It's over! Mamma mia, he's done it! Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko! AJ does it in style! Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit! It's Fisgianato's with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, Fight Fans. It is Thursday, March 12th, and this is the Fisgianato's podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing, on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinatospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. We've had some great stuff up recently. And a couple quick notes before I start. I did a podcast last week for the SI Boxing Show with Chris Mannix. Check that out. That was mostly we talked about what zone going global means. And that's actually something I was going to talk about a little bit this episode. I was This was going to be, is there a boxing bubble? Uh, but <laughs> this is kind of an emergency podcast on what is happening with the coronavirus, how it might affect boxing. Sort of a theoretical one, but I have done quite a bit of, of due diligence on this. So, you know, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I mean, I do want to stress here, I'm going to talk about what it means in boxing, not what it means in the real world. Um, they're two very different things. And obviously, look, personally, I mean, I think like many people out there, I am going to be at home with my wife and two kids in, you know, not that big of a condo in Los Angeles, and that's kind of going to be hunkered down. It feels like that's kind of what everybody is going to be doing right now for the foreseeable future. Doesn't sound like there's going to be school or, you know, you're going to have to work remotely. I mean, this is kind of a weird, you know, we're, we're in a really weird time. I'm just going to talk about what this means for boxing. Like, obviously... I don't even want to touch on what this means for the rest of society because because it's crazy and 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 there there's a lot of ramifications not just outside of 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 boxing but outside of sports and outside of um I mean this is this is this is general health we're talking about here but let's jump into the review section and then I'll just kind of jump into the deep dive so Let's start. Let's go back to Saturday, February 29th from Frisco, Texas, and on to zone. We had Mikey Garcia defeating Jesse Vargas by a unanimous decision, but a closer one than many thought. Also on the card, Chocolate Tito Gonzalez beats Calia Fi by KO9 to win a WBA Junior Bantamweight title. And then Julio Cesar Martinez beats Jay Harris to re- retain his WBC flyweight title. It really was an excellent fight. I mean, also, and let's do one more. Joseph Parker wins by KO5. Israel Madrimov wins by KO6. Just just an excellent card top to bottom. 
Um, even, even with the you know the the lower level cards, it was stars winning by knockout. But it was, it was fun TV. Let's talk about the ramifications here. I mean, Mikey Garcia looked better at welterweight, but he still didn't look great. He still did not look like he'd be able to hang with the elite uh, welterweights that are out there. That was kind of already proved against Spence. He didn't look, you know, if you just isolate Errol Spence and, and you wouldn't come out of this being like, oh, Mikey Garcia could be able to, to, to make a rematch more competitive. I will say he did look stylistically like he would be a live dog against Pacquiao, and that's mostly because Pacquiao is one of the few welterweights who doesn't have a huge size advantage against him, but, you know, probably has a major athleticism advantage, just, you know, even even at 40 years old. Uh, you know, and Pacquiao has to deal with some unclear contractual issues with PBC, and obviously DAZN or some party has to, to pay up, you know, for that fight to happen. But it sounds like it could be one of those Saudi Arabia fights with a large site fee and sort of a big event to zone summer feel. Um, you know, and as they move into their global strategy, th- that could be something that could move the needle, uh, not just in the United States, but around the world and, and would be a good fight for them to make. So uh, I would love to see it. I think it's an exciting fight. I would definitely favor Pacquiao after seeing Mikey Garcia. Uh, but I still think I'd like to see it. I mean, that's look, that's that's a really good one. Chocolatito, very impressive showing against Yafai. I mean, one of the big themes here was during the fight, Yafai's strategy played right into Chocolatito's hands. Uh, it was under two to one odds, you know, so a really close fight either way. But, you know, this sets up some really big time fights in the lower weight class. You'd like to see DeZone and Matchroom capitalize on how you you can kind of make fights at this weight class for for relatively inexpensive comparatively speaking and i think they're great fights for the core fan base Uh, a lot of these fighters do have some international appeal so i think let's make them let's see them like this could be big business for dezona matchroom um and and then when you talk about julio cesar martinez and jay harris that's so to me I'm not going to put that in fight of the year contention yet, but it was super, it was definitely one of the noteworthy fights of the year so far, super entertaining. Um, and maybe had there been a little bit more drama in it, I would have said, yes, this could be, this is in that fight of the year. We're kind of in that category of like J rock versus Jared Hurd from last year, where it was a really good fight, but you kind of knew who was going to win the whole time, but just a fun action packed TV fight. Uh, Madrimov and, and Parker kind of did what they were supposed to do, but it was still good TV. Uh, and look, great stuff by DAZN. I mean, even the fights that were long odds from the bookies ended up being quality television. And it, they put together a competitive, interesting card uh, where we learned a lot. And yes, they did pay a lot of money for it, but this they delivered to the core fan base. And I'm sure this is going to end up being one of their more highly watched uh, cards. So let's move on. Saturday, March 7th from Manchester, England and on DAZN as well through the Matchroom UK deal. Uh, let's just talk about the main event here for a second. Joan O'Carroll beat Scott Quigg by KO11. Uh, Quigg ends up retiring after the fact. I mean, I, you know, it's hard to say with Quigg. He didn't look great at all. And, and Carroll who didn't really look great against, you know, made a good fight against Tevin Farmer, but didn't look great, and especially after Tevin Farmer didn't look great 
you know, subsequently against Jojo Diaz. I don't know exactly where this puts Jono Carroll, and I certainly don't know where it puts Scott Quigg. I hope he does stay retired if that's truly a sentiment. Um, but a pretty entertaining fight to watch, and I would say, you know, I'm now interested in what Jono Carroll does next, but I'm skeptical. So I'd love to see him, you know, fight someone who isn't considering retiring, and, and I'm, I'm definitely interested, though. All right, finally, on Saturday, March 7th, from New York and on Fox, we have Robert Hellenius winning by KO4 over Adam Kanaski in a WBA title eliminator. Also on the card, F.A. Ajagba uh, sort of breaks down and just just, just beats Raznan Kajandu. It ends up being a KO9. Frank Sanchez beats Doey DeWaco by unanimous decision. The show does an average of 1.443 million viewers, which, I mean, let's be honest, is a disappointing rating and a viewership number for a heavyweight show like this. Uh, let's talk about the ratings here. I mean, it's tough to spin this in a positive way other than just saying nothing really worked on that Saturday night on network TV besides Saturday Night Live. So Saturday Night Live does over 6 million people. Really good rating, especially in the demos that mattered. NBC and ABC World News Tonight And this is what they typically do. They did like 5.6, 5.8 million viewers. Um, Like SNL had way better demos than obviously World News Tonight. Like basically World News Tonight, even with that many more viewers, actually does like not even that much better in terms of demos than than boxing. The XFL was the lead-in for PBC on Fox. XFL averaged just about 1.5 million viewers. So one of the, actually the things you could point to is that you can say XFL pro football and had done really decent stuff uh, up until kind of like this week, uh, but didn't really deliver for PBC as a lead-in. Um, now, to be fair, PBC boxing is not used to getting a lead-in on Fox, um, but you know didn't really do that great. And you look at the other stuff on the, on the air, nothing did great. Like, the only – I should I should take it back. Nothing did great in the demos that matter, but The Jump, which is sort of like the preview show for NBA basketball, which is on ABC, um, it, the NBA game only averaged like 1.9 million viewers. The Jump was kind of in boxing territory. Like, just a rough day overall for live sports. Uh, but PBC, I mean, it, I think it did the worst out of everything. If you look at the stuff that wasn't live sports, is actually like everything else was doing, you know, well over 2 million viewers, 2.5 million viewers. The demos were terrible. Um, I mean, but reruns on CBS doing 2.5 million viewers. So that's just something it's like that shouldn't happen. Um, and it's tough to, you know, Fox doesn't have a great way of promoting the March show. Um, they did a show last year. It was the Ugas Porter fight um, that was kind of on paper the best, one of the best matchups they made on Big Fox. But it's it's a tough time, and a, you know nothing really on Fox to promote it. But still, it's like just in terms of pure viewership, not demos, because demos they you know PBC on Fox did okay. It basically tied the other, re, you know, other stuff that was out there, which is a lot of reruns, but we got to do better than this. Just as a sport, we got to do better than this. 
if you look on cable, and I think this is where PBC got hurt a little bit. You look on cable, the number one cable show of the day was the Duke game on ESPN. Um, it did great demos. It got 2.2 million viewers. The UFC prelims for the Israel Adesanya fight, uh, who's becoming a big-time superstar. So that the prelims for that did almost 1.2 million viewers on ESPN. had really, really strong demos. It came on right after the Duke game. You know, given the profile of the UFC pay-per-view fight, I'm sure there were, you know, the actual pay-per-view event itself also cut in to, to people watching, you know, the PVC show because it went so late. Um, so, you know, if the younger audience was staying at home, much of it was tuned in to UFC, not into boxing. Um, you know, and, and again, NBA, it's not like the NBA did great on, on, on ABC. So it's... Here's what I'd say in totality. Fox, I'm sure Fox wants these numbers to be much closer to 2 million viewers. And I think the peak viewership for this was even like 1.6 or 1.7, something like that. I mean, peak doesn't really matter. Like you're, you're you know, it, it, it's a good sign for certain fighters, but you want the viewership to be strong throughout the entire fight because they, they don't just sell ads during the main event for the peak. Like that's, you know, let's just be real on that. Um, actually, all that being said, I actually really like this card. I mean, I think it produced a big time upset in the main event on paper, you know, like the cynics will say on paper, these are all big time favorites, but I actually think they put together a pretty solid show. Like just in terms of structure, and we talked, I talked about this a little bit last episode. Again, I liked what the PD said. They gave us two 10-round undercards that had real stakes. I mean, Frank Sanchez didn't wow me. He's still developing as a pro, and Joey Dueco is a tough test for any heavyweight outside the elite. He's like a very solid gatekeeper. Um, Ajagpa wasn't the most exciting TV viewer, but I thought Kajanu was an okay opponent, given that Ajagpa got knocked down the last time he had a fight. These are These are heavyweight fights where... These guys are allowed to develop their profile, build their name, and and learn in the process. And I actually don't mind seeing those kind of fights, especially as undercards. And then the main event, which the main event was a mismatch on paper, but it turns out the underdog won, produced a huge moment. Um, and they're heavyweights. Like, they make, like, you know, Kalinowski makes exciting fights. Like, I like watching him fight. So... This is this format is definitely much better than seeing prospects in like a walkover fight, you know, or worst case scenario like the, the Joey Spencer special where you see a prospect in a six or eight round fight where he doesn't walk over his opponent and you got to watch the whole thing and it's kind of boring because he's dominating the whole time but not getting this guy out of there. And I don't say that to pick on him in particular because I just think like prospects at his level should be fighting either not on TV or on FS1 under cards where they can develop like a real fighter and don't have the pressure of having to put on good television on a, on a big fight on Fox. Um, you know, it sounds like we'll see a rematch with Kanaski and Hellenius. You know, maybe not. If so, though, I, I would love to see that. I can't wait for it. And I mean, it like, you, know, you think about a guy like Kanaski and it's like, the UFC is actually somewhere where I think like they've done really well with guys like him. Like not every fighter is destined to unify belts. Some are just really exciting TV fighters. Adam Kalinowski is one of those. Like he's 
not that much defense, a lot of offense, doesn't have game-changing power but can knock guys out. Um, you know, he has a big-time Polish audience that's behind him. Um, and even though he doesn't do great in terms of TV ratings when he's been on Big Fox, I think he's someone where you can try to build up his audience. Like, he's he, – you can't imagine he's truly here for the long run given his lack of defense. But I'm telling you, like, if you're PBC – Deontay Wilder will need a pay-per-view fight against him. Like, that's a good fight for Wilder. Like, Kanaski draws a crowd. He'll help out your gate. You know, if he doesn't help out the gate, he's got a huge crowd that's willing to pay for either tickets or pay-per-view. They'll create a great atmosphere if you do it where they can where they can go, you know, watch the fight live. If not, you can market to this other crowd that doesn't show up. They're, they're not the hardcore fan base that you're trying to convince to buy this fight. Like, they're outside of, you know, your usual fan base. That's great for boxing. So I'd say, you know, this fight card, I guess I've talked about, probably talked it to death for something that wasn't, was really kind of a smaller card in terms of, of what Fox is doing. I just liked what the PBC did here. It's disappointing that the rating didn't match what they were doing. I mean, maybe there was a little bit of fatigue just in terms of heavyweight fights on, on network because there's been... There was so much talk of the build-up to Wilder Fury, too. But, you know, either way, um, I wish this would have done better. So let's go to the deep dive. And, and wow, I was going to record this yesterday and, and, you know, like I said up top, and do is boxing in a bubble. And what a difference a day makes. I mean, yesterday and today – you know, this thing, this coronavirus, it kind of, it it had like 9-11 vibes. Or if you were in New York for the blackout back in, I think that was like in 04, I was living in New York for that. Like, it just had really weird, like this whole thing has really weird vibes. Um, and news moved so fast, so much happened yesterday and today. Um, and I mean, what a difference it's like even from when I was going to record last night, I decided not to because this, and like every single major sporting event canceled basically today. Um, you know, yesterday or today, whatever, last night, something was the tipping point here officially. Um, kind of not just for sports, but the country. And I think, well, first of all, let's just go through the events of yesterday. So, and, you know, again, like I said up top, I really just want to look at this through the lens of sports. I will get into a little bit more of it outside of that, but I don't want anyone to assume that I'm sort of taking a callous look at human life here, especially for older fans. Um, you know, myself, I have a six or I guess she's seven months old now, seven month old daughter. Like I'm not taking her anywhere. Like I'm not risking that at all. So I, I get it, uh, from that perspective, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. So, most people know what COVID-19 or the coronavirus is. Um, you know, what happened in the NBA yesterday kind of is really what put it on the radar. And I think, it, look, as governments start to ban, and they start they started already, like, ban sort of larger gatherings, like, this is kind of, you can kind of see this coming. And, like, obviously, Rudy, Rudy Gobert, the jazz player who was tested for the virus, he tested positive. Um, in the game, the jazz were about to play was postponed. The team was quarantined. All their opponents over the last 10 days were also told to self-quarantine that included five other teams and I think that incident in particular is kind of like the perfect summation of why this virus is so difficult to deal with 
for a team environment where you play a lot of games, you know, multiple games per week, um, you know, and as I'm about to record for just for the sports world, like the MLS, the NHL, most European soccer leagues, except the Premier League, have all basically postponed everything. Um, the NCAA March Madness, like the NCAA has basically, and to their credit, has canceled all winter and spring sports. And like the NCAA, I mean, they are, they are really one of the most revenue conscious sports organizations that exists. And that's even like a really nice phrasing. Like you could basically say they're one of the more, the, the darker organizations out there in terms of taking advantage of athletes for sports. Um, and I say that as a former NCAA athlete, um, or even on the Division Three level, you go through some ridiculous stuff. But it, it's they, um, you know, they didn't even delay; they just canceled everything. Um, you know, I mean, the school most schools have literally sent all their kids home, so it's not that shocking. You know, the NBA is really when you go back; they're the catalyst here. Like they're pretty forward thinking. Um, and th- this is the right thing to do. You know, they, um, if you look at the sports, and this is what we'll really dig into here, that haven't canceled everything yet. It's NASCAR. It's some golf events. And then it's MMA and boxing. And we'll, you know, actually, before we do that, let's just take a step back and, and look at what's happening on a government level here. Like, we've... I think no matter what your politics are, because I kind of want to steer clear of that, we as a country have have moved pretty slowly on this. And obviously the worst case scenario is what is happening in Italy right now, where large sections of the country are just on complete lockdown. You know, the best case scenario is pretty close to sort of South Korea, where they seem to have it under control. Maybe, you know, there are a couple of other countries people have mentioned. I think Singapore is one of them. Um, and look, I have family, like my sister works at NIH. Um, I, you know, I have two doctors in my immediate family and they've all kind of said the same things in in terms of generalities to me personally. Um, and some of this, a lot of this stuff is public, so it's not like it's, um, anything new or whatever, but like, this is going to get worse before it gets better. There is a very strong likelihood that a humongous percentage of Americans will be exposed to this virus over the next 12 to 18 months, maybe as high as like 50%, maybe even higher. I've read some estimates that it was like 70%. Uh, And obviously, the goal, what everyone's trying to do, the reason why you quarantine is to not overload the hospital system and start to gain information on the virus and figure out best practices for dealing with it. And that way, it's not even that you're looking for a vaccine, which could be 9 to 12 months. It, it It's you're trying to lower the rate of, you know, essentially the death rate in this. Um, and what does that mean? I mean, to really what it means is to put any time frame on how long it could be before a minimum of like 10 or 12 or 20 or 50 or 80,000 people are together in a sports arena or just in any kind of arena for a concert or a sporting event, no one knows when that's going to happen. I mean, that that could be maybe we're being overcautious. 
and in April, you know, March or April, a bunch of this stuff gets canceled. And maybe in May, people can start going out and go to these events again. That's probably a pretty positive way of looking at things. I mean, you know, again, this is stand-up comedy, this is concerts, political gatherings. Like, it, it's a lot of stuff. So, like, I'm not trying to freak anyone out here. I'm just saying, like, it could be a year. It could be nine months. Um, in terms of the sport calendar, is it the baseball season? How long does baseball go without having people in the stands? Is it the football season? Like, is anyone listening right now until we have more information on this? Are you going to feel comfortable getting into a stadium to watch a football game? Probably not, you know? So we don't know. I mean, maybe this will be fine by football season. Um, Maybe not. And that's kind of when we bring it back to one of the unique things that I think, you know, and, and you can lump golf and NASCAR into this, but I think golf and NASCAR aren't quite as unique as MMA and boxing. And I actually think there are some real workable solutions to keep these sports on TV. And let's just talk about bo- the difference in, in it's boxing and MMA versus team sports. Like boxing and MMA, these are individual sports where the fighters don't compete nearly as often as they do in major team sports. And look, even in something like golf, like golf is like a classic example where social distancing is literally built into the sport. But if one golfer gets the virus, it's possible just in a locker room or something like that, you know, by playing in the same tournament, other golfers could get it. And then one tournament could wipe out a huge portion of golfers for, you know, minimum of two weeks, but maybe longer. Um, and it's kind of the same thing with NASCAR, you know, not quite as similar. And I think NASCAR probably could go on, but boxing and MMA aren't, you don't have the same fighters fighting week in, week out. It's different fighters. I mean, boxing and MMA, like you kind of train in isolation. It's not uncommon to fight two or three times a year at most for the really well-established fighters. I mean, that's more boxing. MMA is more of a team concept in terms of how they train, but you could easily switch to, to taking more precautions, um, and doing it more in isolation. Um, even if you get the virus, you can probably just isolate for two weeks, recover, you know, maybe you're delayed a month, but like you can probably go back to training and you can probably still fight twice in a year, even if you get this. And probably most importantly, especially with an organization like UFC, UFC has that apex center that they built in Vegas on site. I mean, it's super, I have not seen it from, I know several people who have, and it, it sounds like, one of the most impressive things you could see, but it's more importantly than how impressive it is. It's literally built to films, fight sports all day long. Like it was built with the notion that you could do an MMA show for China, one for Europe and one for the United States, all in the same like 24 or 36 hour period. It's built to lower the cost of, of doing a show. When you look at some of the other factors here, like a huge proportion of boxing and MMA fighters are based either out of Las Vegas or California, and they can easily drive to that center. And by the way, look, if UFC, like I know some boxing promotions have reached out to use it, but if UFC doesn't want to share that center with a boxing promoter, I'm sure, you know, there's other arenas in Las Vegas that a boxing promoter could get 
exclusive use of and just sort of film in their own controlled environment with no crowd pretty easily. You know, even in fighters who are other parts of the country, I mean, look, it might be two or three days for some of that, but you could drive to Las Vegas and trust me, there's gonna be plenty of open hotel rooms if you, you know, if you want to sort of like set up shop there. You know, you, I'm sure you could find apartments to rent sort of short term. Um, you know, top rank UFC the same way they have their own gyms. Like they, there's plenty of other gyms out there. You, it, it, it's not inconceivable to sort of just run boxing shows and MMA shows out of Las Vegas at sites like these kind of week in, week out. And this is really what we're talking about here. I mean, I'll get to club shows sort of in a bit, but like I'm talking top rank in UFC on ESPN, PVC on Fox and FS1, Matchroom, Golden Boy, and Bellator on DAZN. You know, let's look at some of the reasons as to why you'd want to do this. You know, first of all, financially, for most shows, and I'm talking most week-in, week-out shows, this actually kind of makes sense. Um, all these promoters have contracts with a network. You know, right now, especially with the case of ESPN and Fox, like, these networks need content. Like, ESPN specifically now has a huge hole in their schedule uh, because so many of the live sports are gone. And so any of the UFC or top-ranked shows that were scheduled are now really some of the only live sports they have on at night at all. I mean, golf is during the day. Tennis, I don't know why tennis canceled. Tennis could probably do this. But you know, they face some of the same risks I talked about for golf. You know, Fox and, and NASCAR have a close relationship. But, you know, Big Fox has other options besides sports. I mean, DAZN, you want to talk about DAZN? Like, the only content that matters for, for most subscribers for DAZN is boxing and Bellator. But when you look at, like, the week-in, week-out fights, if you're able to scale everything down and not worry about the in-arena experience for fans and you have a really controlled environment, Production costs can actually come down to the point where you can probably get close to cost neutral. Like a bigger gate for a more popular fighter, you'll lose out on some money for sure. Like for sure. But the, the real money is coming from TV. I mean, these kind of weekly shows for these fight promotions, and I, and I include UFC and Bellator in this discussion with the boxing promoters, you know, the gate isn't a huge margin of profit. Like, even a couple hundred grand in gate, like, let's say you do a show where there's, like, 500, you know, 500 grand gate or, or 400 grand gate, something like that. I mean, that doesn't, like, if you factor in all the man hours and any marketing costs, um, and then if you factor how much it costs to do a production at big arenas like that, like it's, you are losing out on some money, but it's less than you think. Like it's really less than you think. And UFC has the infrastructure probably to get more money out of their gate than boxing promoters do. I mean, boxing promoters, you know, if a fighter is really popular in his hometown, he'll do well, but you're not necessarily getting a ton of money from those gates. So, you move into a controlled environment. There's definitely going to be fights where this whole thing is like almost a wash even. 
Like when you factor in, there's no hotel or airfare costs. I mean, The Athletic actually just had a great article not too, like I think a couple weeks ago, I think Pugmire wrote it, where like Bob Aaron went on record saying he was going to do more of the foreign fights because when he factored how much money they were top rank was spending as a company, um, just it's sort of like bringing all their employees and all the people needed to do the TV broadcasts, like from fight to fight and, and you know, all the fighters and, you know, everything. It just, it's really, really expensive. And the gate doesn't always cover how much that costs. Um, so like UFC fight night shows, the Bellator event that's happening tomorrow, like Shakur Stevenson, Mariaga this weekend, definitely what was going to be the FS1 with Kirkland. I mean, these shows, they may not be a wash, but the margins aren't as bad as, you know, the, the, they're, they're not as crazy as you think. And actually, when you look at like the Kirkland fight, it's like a classic example. That almost certainly was going to have a bad gate. And if they, you know, I know that fight is postponed or canceled, but that's like one of those things. You do that in a controlled environment with no crowd, the production money you save is, I'm sure, going to outweigh the gate and the, and the, and, and the factor of, of doing it in a Las Vegas where, you know, where you're based, basically. Um, but yeah, you'll lose out on some revenue, but again, it's, it's, it probably doesn't outweigh the other factors. I mean, we're entering a weird phase in society where it could be several weeks or, you know, maybe even two months where people are working from home. They got kids who aren't going to school. And besides movies and TV shows that have, you know, they're already out there the, in, in studio show, like, you know, the nightly news and stuff. There's just not much else, much else to watch. I mean, for sports fans, there aren't going to be many options at all. And this is at a time when most of America is on lockdown in their homes. Like, there really isn't a better time to actually be putting on live sports. And, yeah, it's a little weird to do it without the energy of the crowd. But, like, you're one of the only games in town right now. That's, that's a pretty good factor. I mean, you'd have to think it's not just that TV ratings – for you could go up, but you're going to get exposed and get an opportunity to build new fans. So I, I think it's worth it. Um, what happens to sort of the bigger fights where there's a real gate? Well, I mean, this gets a little bit more complicated. I mean, when you look at pay, let's look at pay-per-views. So this could go both ways. So like there are, Look, it, it felt like there was going to be an ESPN pay-per-view happening May 30th, Showtime pay-per-view happening sometime in June, and then Wilder Fury 3 in July. I mean, you know, and it's this is these are all too far out to predict how this could work. I mean, end of May is one thing, you know, but if we're all still on some kind of lockdown by mid-July, I think people are just going to go stir-crazy and they're going to want to live their lives. But, you know, ESPN and FS1, if there's not much else going on in terms of live sports by that point. I mean, they're going to be going crazy with their daily shows. They're going to need big events to happen. And boxing should get a preview of how this is going to work because the UFC is actually putting on a really big pay-per-view fight in April, Tony Ferguson's fighting Khabib. And if UFC does that one with no crowd and there's a higher buy rate than expected to, you know, that makes up for the loss and gate, I mean, if you're boxing, like, if you, I know these are all different promoters, but you really got to consider this. I mean, I don't think it makes sense to call these fights off just because they are pay-per-view. I mean, they do, now these things, 
you would expect bigger gates here. And especially where there's tighter margins, that matters. I mean, you know, Wilder Fury 3 in particular, that was like a $16, $17 million gate. Like, that's, that's not anything to just throw away. But we could, like I mentioned up top, we could be in a scenario where by July there is going to be some kind of demand for live events where people are willing to take the risk of, of gathering in, in an arena again. You know, May and June, you might have to contend with some of the bigger leagues coming back sort of in a cautious manner. But still, I mean, God, it's like you're not the only game in town anymore, but it still might be worth the risk to do these with no gate. There's a big opportunity there. You know, one of the things that I've sort of been dancing around in all this is the TV contracts. And I mean, look, I haven't seen these contracts, but, it, you know, you kind of know. Look, if you're a boxing or MMA promoter, like the ones I've talked about so far, that have these exclusive deals, you still, if you want your check each year from your network, like you need to deliver fights. And yeah, we're in a moment where obviously you might be able to delay some of your shows. And there's definitely like on the list of things, ESPN and Fox are in, in you know, DAZN, for that matter, are paying a lot less to boxing promoters than they are to, like, the major, major sports leagues. And there's force majeure clauses and, and you know, all stuff. But, like, if you don't put on the fights, you don't get your check. So in a, you kind of – it behooves you to keep the show run, running if you can. This is no longer the pay cable business where HBO writes you a check for one event at a time. Like, you get a big yearly fee from a network and you need to deliver a certain amount of content. And it kind of, like, this kind of bleeds into the next factor here because you just got this roster of fighters, and the roster of fighters have contracts with minimum purses, and you need to meet those obligations as well. And it's kind of like, you also just need to, like, and, and this is, it's kind of weird to think about because we are entering the unknown in terms of how long this whole thing will last, but, like, at some point, you just kind of need to deal with the reality that, like, you got fighters who you want to develop, and you got fights out there that you want to get made and, and make a profit on. I mean, Shakur Stevenson is probably going to develop as a fighter whether he fights Mariaga or not this weekend. Like, let's be honest about that. But Tiafimo Lopez and, and Vasily Lomachenko, if they don't fight May 30th, like, that may never happen. You know, one fighter is young and he wants to move up and wait, and one fighter is older and he wants to move down and wait. And this is a big commercial fight that hardcore fight fans are salivating over. Tank Davis, Leo Santa Cruz, kind of the same thing. Like, you got this young guy who wants to move up and wait. You got this veteran who's on the older side. Like, that fight, and, and I think probably, you know, people want to see that. I mean, it's... People want to see Tank Davis. And UFC, it's even magnified. I mean, Ferguson and Khabib, they've tried to make that several times at this point. But these guys, like, these fights in particular are at their fiscal peak. If you're going to make Tank Davis versus Leo Santa Cruz, you kind of need to make it now. Like I said, same thing with Lopez Lomachenko. Ferguson, Khabib, that'll likely never be bigger than it is right now. I mean, that's like a cornerstone pay-per-view right now for UFC, and the first couple of times they tried to make it, it wasn't anything like that.
at some point you just need to say, screw it. Like, let's just make these fights because the demand won't be there in the future. And you've got careers to move along. I mean, Lomachenko in particular, he's getting up there in age. And this is a guy, if you're top rank, you're probably wanting him, you might want him to fight Tiafibo, Tank Davis, Miguel Burchelt, and Shakur Stevenson all at some point. And you kind of want him to fight these guys where he's, you know, there's real stakes for both guys. And he may not end up fighting all of them. But there's not, at some point, the expiration date on these on this stuff is, is going to go away. And there's huge incentives to make these kind of fights. Someone is going to get propelled to bigger stardom out of this. And especially once we get into April and May, you know, there's going to be fights on the schedule like that have already been scheduled that aren't at this like sort of pay-per-view level. But if you look at the fight schedule in April and May, I mean, heavyweights on DAZN and, you know, the stuff from the UK, like Dubois and Joyce on a lower level and Usyk's fighting. It, 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 these are like, like, you got stuff that it's, re- the winner's really going to see their career move forward. I haven't even touched yet on the implications for DAZN. I mean, they're talking about making the the biggest swing that they've taken so far. And once once they're in a position to go global, like to do a fight in front of an empty arena, like the gates, honestly, they do matter, but not as much as everything else does for the zone. Like it's way more important given their time frame that they have to get established as a global entity. They only got really one shot at this. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter if anyone's in the stands for the fights. Like, they need to put on fights that are big enough that people around the world subscribe to their service, like virus or no virus. Like, unless the United States is going to give them a huge tax break or something, like, they don't get a couple hundred million extra to wait around for an extra 12 months because of this. And it's not just them who face financial pressure. Like, UFC's debt payments are in the same category. Those things aren't going away because of this virus. The incentives are to proceed. Like proceed with caution, but proceed. And I think it shows strong leadership to do that. And it feels like they're doing that, and I'm happy they're doing it. Again, it comes down, and, and I'd say the same thing for all the fight promo- promotions that keep on moving. Again, it comes back to like fighters... They're different than team sports. Like, this can get figured out. You can do this. It's not as obvious with club shows. Like, I feel really bad. They're a different animal. ESPN reported on a few shows in Quebec that got canceled. I'm sure there's going to be more. You know, the state of count. You know, the states are starting to to cancel a lot of these things. And here's the bottom line. Anytime you're a local promoter, anytime you are depending, you don't have TV, TV money or your TV money isn't significant, and you're relying on gate as a major, major source of income, you're going to take a bath. Like, this isn't the time to be doing these kind of shows. It sucks. It really does. Um, and, and, and we'll probably see, you know, younger careers delayed from it or, or careers of fighters who do need to come back delayed from it. But um, that, look, 
that's going to be one of the casualties here. And, and you probably shouldn't be doing those shows. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense. And overall, this is going to be very uncertain. I do, I do think there's a path forward to do these fights. I know that sounds crazy. Um, but I think the smaller ones that are in that DAZN, and I know the Virgil Ortiz fight just got canceled, but DAZN can do, DAZN probably faces the biggest challenges out of all of them, um, because Matchroom is sort of UK based rather than US based. So it's kind of harder, but they can do this and top rank and PVC can definitely do this. Golden Boy can definitely do this too. I mean, look, again, proceed with caution. Like This disease is scary. We don't know a ton about it. It's going to get worse before it gets better. I highly doubt we're going to see scenarios where there are live audiences like for several months, if not weeks. You know, it's like I don't think that's going to be weeks. I think that's going to be months. But other sports are going to figure this out. I mean, it, it sounds like the NBA in particular has way too much at stake to not have some kind of plan to start having games in, in a month or six weeks or eight weeks or something. You know, theirs is more complicated because there's their salary cap is based on, um, you know, revenue for the sport. And I mean, boxing doesn't have anything like that. But, you know, you also just have, you know, going back to the fighters, like you, it's not just their careers moving forward. It's like they need to make a living. You know, especially they're at P- many of them who are fighting on Fox and ESPN, even if you're only making like 20 or 25 grand for a really lower level fight, like that's probably peak earning power for some of these guys. Like this is the moment for them. Like they have to be doing this. And, and I think other leagues will come back and figure this out. So it's not like, I don't look at it as taking an immoral view towards the fighters by pushing forward and trying to keep going. I actually think this is an opportunity that if you proceed with caution, you, you can do it. And look, I know, I know boxing and MMA can do it. And, and again, I want to acknowledge, I haven't even talked about this yet. There are risks to fighters. Um, there's risks to people on fighters teams. Look, fighters, they get very vulnerable when they cut weight. And the risks are high, but, like, honestly, the rewards probably outweigh them. If I was a network or, or on the promotional side, I would plow ahead. Um, that's all I want to get into right now, just because we don't know a ton. But I wanted to explain what the path went forward. And, look, two weeks from now, I could look like a total fool if every single fight is canceled for April and May. But I do I, – I really do think – there is a pathway forward, and, and I think you will see, um, certainly you're going to see some MMA and boxing coming up. All right, well, let's go to the preview section. Uh, I'll just, I'll mention, I don't know if the Saturday, if the Friday fight on, on Showbox with Brandon Lee is going to go forward. I'll mention it. I know the Saturday, March 14th fight from New York and on ESPN. This is going forward. We have Shakur Stevenson fighting Miguel Mariaga for Stevenson's WBO featherweight title. Also on the card, Jesse Magdaleno is fighting Zakaria Lucas at featherweight. Stevenson is a big favorite, probably 50 to 1 at most places. Magdaleno is like 20 or 30 to 1. 
this is going to be at MSG in the Hulu Theater in front of those spectators. So this will be our first. This is, this is really going to be the the first sporting event with no fans. I mean, I guess, and maybe they're doing the golf before that, but that's during the day. It's a little bit different. It's not used to a packed arena type thing. Um, we were going to see on Saturday, March 14th from Oxon Hill, Maryland, uh, James Kirkland fighting Marcos Hernandez at middleweight. And then, uh, Amantis Staniosis against Justin Deloach at welterweight. That is now postponed. I'm not sure if it's canceled or postponed. Um, but let's be real out of all the shows that we're going to be on this upcoming weekend. Um, even with the show box, like this, this was not the biggest card. It was, it's probably the least important card that we're going to see in the grand scheme of things. Um, on Tuesday, March 17th from New York on ESPN plus on St. Patrick's day, we have Michael Common fighting Belmar Preciado at felt at featherweight Mikel Meyer against Melissa Hernandez. Also on the card Conlon, like a 15 or 20 to one favorite, um, again, this is going to be MSG, no crowd. Uh, and then on Saturday, March 21st, from Riga, Latvia, on zone, we have Munir Dortikos fighting Maris Bredis for the WBSS Cruiserweight title and the IVF title. Bredis is about a 2-1 to one favorite. This fight is in jeopardy at the time I'm recording this, but not officially canceled yet. I would be very excited to see it if it does go forward. All right, everyone listening out there, I hope you enjoyed this content. I hope I don't look like a fool in two or three weeks. Stay safe. Um, I may have to start previewing UFC fights. I don't know. (laughs) I kid, I kid. But enjoy some combat sports this weekend. We will see some of it for sure. Enjoy them next next weekend. I'm sure. I think Bellator's got a card this Friday as well. Um, really bummed out that, that I'm not getting to see my, my wrestling NCAA championships, but that's, you know, look, this is some scary, some scary stuff here. So stay safe, social distance, um, you know, <laughs> enjoy some time with your family if you got it. Uh, cause that's what I'm going to be doing on lockdown. All right. Talk to you in two weeks. Give up.